give us moments like this that are, that are impactful in every, every way. And I pray that we would look up more often <clears throat> every day. We would look up and, and we would see you. And if it empowers us even more to worship you, to, to imagine those we love, are with you and because of what you did on the cross Jesus so we will celebrate that again this morning we will memorialize that and embrace that because it's because of that that there's a promised reunion with you and them and we will sing as we've never sung before we exalt you for the little people here today. I pray that you would bless them abundantly and deeply and help them help them get answers to their questions why Patrick's new crying. <laughs> because it's real. Lead us now, Holy Spirit, in your truth and, and in our own stories and struggles for your glory. In Jesus' name. Have a seat, everyone, and welcome. <clears throat> I have to tell you that um, there are times when I'm around people that have had to say goodbye to loved ones, and it's, it's never or rarely something easily done unless they're in great suffering but for the most part it's a deep it's a deep moment <clears throat> and uh, you've heard the expression if you've lost anybody that the first year is a year of firsts and um, and it hits sometimes pretty real um, and uh, behold the Lamb of God said John the Baptist I love have been able to say that with their own words as they fall at his feet. What a beautiful time. And uh, we get to do it too. I, um, I want to invite you who are joining us from other places today. And I'm going to make an assumption about a few, not all of you. But um, the assumption is that it's uh, it's great to get a, a, a great worship experience, some wonderful music. It's also good to uh, hear God's word, and both of those will be a part of this morning for you. But there might be a few of you, maybe more than a few of you, that stay away because you're you're not sure this room. Uh, you, you hear me say it, but you're not convinced that there's room in here for someone like you. And uh, I'm not going to scold you. I'm not going to. Um, I'm not going to, you know, yell at you. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you that um, after today's message, I hope you change your opinion, and uh, you'll you'll say, "Wow, um, my sin is real. My sin is real. Our sin is real." But uh, that's the that's the starting. Point to a breakthrough for you is to see your sin as a serious matter. So I hope that's the case, but not in a condemning uh, way, but in a in a way that points you to the one that can fix any and all sin that you show up with. And um, so welcome in, welcome everybody, welcome church. I like to tell you that here too. Uh, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure most of us are familiar with uh, the stories of famous people who have fallen. I want you to think about that. Think about it broadly at first, okay? So you, you get in your mind, um, what happens when a, maybe you call it a rising star falls? 
Um, you know, is it is it the end for them? Is there a future for them? Is there any place of, you know, redemption? Um, and in some cases, maybe your thoughts are, I don't really care about them. Uh, maybe you think a little bit Galatians 6, 7-ish. Uh, you reap what you sow. You got, you had it coming, dude. You know, that kind of thinking. I don't know. But uh, the broader question is, um, how do people who who were rising stars or maybe like at the top of their game, how, how do they turn out when they fall? Uh, where, where do they land? How do they uh, go forward? Um, we'd probably say that the post-fall um, prognosis, let's use the word mixed. It's mixed. Uh, in some cases, they recover fully and you're kind of shocked. You're thinking, is everybody forgetful here? Maybe in another case, um, you know, they, they're they partially back, but they never really get their game again. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not, I'm not going to name a single person, so you, you know, I would never do that about you, but it's fun to pick on people that you've never met. I'm not going there. But, you know, you know what I mean? That's why I mean mix. Some people just rise up again, and they, you know, get some good counseling and whatever. They move forward. Another person doesn't do it so well. And then you and I would have to admit that there are some people that they disappear. They, their star fell from the sky, and it never went back up. Right? Fair enough? Seems to be a, a picture. So um, that's my observation about, and I just listed some categories, sports stars. Okay? Again, no names. Political figures or figures. Um, so tempted, but uh, movie stars, movie stars, all right, um, famous musicians, singers or musicians, whatever, uh, let me just be honest, popular pastors, it's kind of an uncomfortable one to admit, but they're there, and even, how's this, wives, In some cases, children. Uh, let's get a little more uncomfortable. The likes of you and me. Uh, people of every stripe. And it, it's had me wondering, and it's really the sort of the launch pad of this message today. Uh, since Jesus was serious, uh, it seems like we should look at our sin differently. Maybe take it a little more or a lot more seriously. Um, made me wonder um, a lot about different people. And then as the Holy Spirit always does, he says, and he says, Steve, quit thinking about sports stars or politicians. Think about Steve McCracken. And that's, uh, that's where I think we all need to be. Not, I don't want you to think about me, but... Uh, get what I'm saying, okay? Um, uh, but then then I brought out my Bible and I started thinking about uh, famous people in the Bible, which seems fair enough, um, who fell uh, yet recovered. And there seems to be, again, some don't recover. Ask Judas. He's gone, though, but you ask his story. And you see, that didn't turn. He didn't turn fell hard. Ask Peter, different outcome. Even a casual reading, you can find their names in the New Testament if you're new to the Bible. And ask yourself questions like, how come one got back up? And how come the other uh, vanished into enigma? Uh, there's another word. Anyway, it's too fancy for me this morning. But anyway, they just faded from their son Judas. That's wrong. I mean, my apologies if your name Judas, but it's, it blew up for him. Um, okay. 
There does seem to be, however, if I take the same metrics and apply it to the Bible, uh, there's, a, there's something common in post-fallen futures of people in the Bible. Not all, but most. And that's what my message is about today. Okay? So, um, and like most Sundays, there's going to be a powerful principle that you and I get to go and talk about in our life groups or in our friendships or in our relationships with other people. Hey, what do you think about? And how do you think this works in our lives? That kind of thing. So to get started, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel, Matthew chapter 5. I want us to go to where Jesus is just beginning his most famous message, his Sermon on the Mount. It covers Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in its most complete form. While you're turning there, let me say a couple of things right out of the gate. Uh, six times, one, two, three, four, five, six, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus repeats a saying, you have heard it said, I'm quoting now, you have heard it said, that's a past tense statement. So he's pointing back before him, which would naturally mean the Old Testament. You have heard it said, Old Testament, but I say to you, and he says this six different times like one after the other. Each time, he's referring to an Old Testament law, okay? Uh, let me just mention them. You can read them in more detail. We're only going to look at two of them this morning. That's all we've got time for. But in Jesus, you've heard it said, murder comes up first. The next one is adultery. And sometimes related, not by any means always, there's a, a, a from, from adultery, divorce is the third one that comes up. He says, you've heard it said, and he talks about the Old Testament law. Then vows come up, and, um, and then revenge comes up. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you. And then love. You've heard it said, love your friends, but hate your enemies. Look long and hard in the Old Testament. You are successful in finding where that verse is in the law. I'm going to give you my old truck because I'm about to buy a new one, okay? How's that? Uh, okay, no, I'm not going to do that. But um, anyway, so some have suggested in this back and forth, you've heard it said, but I say to you, that Jesus somehow was expressing disagreement with the Old Testament. He had a problem with the Old Testament. But in actual fact, a plain reading, and can I use a second to tell you there's a hermeneutic. That's fancy for Bible study techniques. So you get it right, not wrong. And one of the Bible study techniques is that you need and I need to read the Bible first off in its most plain and obvious reading or understanding. Um, there's context involved. There's a variety of other techniques that are involved, and you get into those as you get more acquainted with the Bible. But the plain and obvious reading before he hits the list that you've heard it said, and I say to you, starts in verse 17. And, um, and it's that Jesus did not come to abolish the law or kick the prophets to the curb. That's not what he came for, but to fulfill them fully. In fact, in his own words, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Almost assuming they're going to think that as soon as he starts saying, you've heard it said, now I say to you. Don't think that way. I've not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. For, I, for truly I tell you, unless until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law. Here's the deal. Unfortunately, there were teachers in those days who not only preached, but practiced a lifestyle that was contrary to the law. That was, that was commonplace then, and some of you are going, wow, that still lives on. It's true. And just because the internet quotes a famous preacher doesn't make it right get 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 into this book 
and and read read it for yourself. And in response, though, back to back to what Jesus is saying here, Jesus didn't hide how he felt about such people, whose not only their message but their lifestyle were contrary to teaching. He calls them out on calls them out by name. Actually, verse nineteen. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands sets aside our key word. Totally disregards, blows past, we would say. Anyone who blows past the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the... And you could almost imagine them starting to cringe, the ones he's about to name. Unless your righteousness is better than the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's what's happening. In each example, Jesus is addressing an action. You shall not murder. You see that, don't you? But he doesn't stop there. He goes for the broader belief behind that action. Let me illustrate. I said to you there's two of them. They're, they're first up in the list, and I thought, well, that's about all we're going to have time for. So the first two, murder and adultery. Verse 21 begins murder. Verse 27, adultery. So um, the law was very clear. You've heard it said. Let me quote it for you. All of these references are at the bottom of the page, the sermon notes here. So don't miss that. But in Exodus 20 you find the list of what's known as the Mosaic Law or the Ten Suggestions, right? The Ten Commandments, right? And so thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and so on and so forth, okay? These two make the list. Verse 22, regarding murder, you shall not murder, okay? That's verse Exodus 20, verse 13. There's barely a comma to verse 14 that says, and thou shalt not commit adultery. So you got them both. They're right there, side by side, in almost one verse, but they're divided by um, editors. Okay, so you've got two verses there. And regarding murder, both cases, I've, I've made this clear. He's quoting the Old Testament, thou shalt not murder. But I tell you, look at verse 2, what Jesus tells. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is worthless, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. I remember as a little boy, I just didn't quite understand I thought the F word was different, but this says fool. I really did, and I, re- I was a little guy, and I remember saying it in the car, and nothing happened. But my dad said, he qu- I think he quoted this verse, and I've been nervous about this verse ever since. But um, So you understand. So verse 22, don't miss this. Anyone, But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Well, it's just, ah. That's tough. Um, Let's skip over, just so you get them both side by side. We've already quoted Exodus 20, verse 14. And you shall not commit adultery. You've heard it said, verse 27. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We get get there in detail in a minute. Um, it's, It's not hard right out of the gate that Jesus is talking about something deeper than just what meets the eye. Okay. If you and I had been there that day, I'm doing my best to help you feel like you're there. But I'm not Jesus. So if Jesus was teaching and we had been there that day, we would have experienced the fastest mood shift possible to the human soul. I'm convinced. 
Had we heard him quote the law, you shall not murder. I, I sat there imagining those words rolling off his lips. I would have gone, there's no blood on these hands. That's what I would have thought. And before he moves on, I would have been tempted to say, hey, move on. We've, we've covered that. I get the law, Exodus 20, verse 13, and you just said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. We're agreed, Jesus, let's go for it, move forward. Because my hands are clean. Check the record. I never killed anybody. However, his next word would have indicted many of us for capital murder. just ask it in plain speak today. Ever been angry? A couple liars, but the rest of you. <laughs> and liars, that there's another, yeah, there's the one about that too. Okay, I see that hand. Um, okay, ever been angry? Oh, this morning you mean? Right? Um, a little secret about pastors and their kids and wives and all. Um, one of the greatest challenges every week is on the way to church. That's why I started coming real early in my own car, my truck. It's safer for everybody. No, you, you get little petty, silly things that don't matter, but they matter so much sometimes that you get ticked. You get angry. And, and what comes with anger? You, 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 you you puke stuff out that shouldn't be out. And by the way, if it came out of here, where did it come from? Here. Matthew 12, 34. Out of the mouth flows that which fills the heart. That was too strong. <laughs> I'm too old for that. Okay. Folks, by Jesus' definition, yeah, just say it and pull you right out of your chair. There are murderers in our midst, lots of us. So have we been able to even recover from the first of these six um, and heard him say what he says next in verse 27? shall not commit adultery. That's the law, Exodus 20, verse 14. Nothing could have possibly prepared us for the stabbing conviction that we would have felt when he went on in verse 29. But I say to you that anyone, where's he going, looks at a woman lustfully, has already committed adultery, with her in his heart. May you, will you permit me to flip this a little too? Anyone who looks at a man lustfully in her heart does the same. You get me? Um, still clean? I've never committed adultery. Seriously, I've read this for a long time, and I've imagined the Pharisees because they, they come up in this, right? He already called them out. I imagine them going, hey, they didn't have videotape, but check the videotape. There's ne never once wanted. You hearing the pride in that? There's, there's pride in that. Me and Debbie. Yeah. I'm a... I know some people that that might not apply to, but it doesn't doesn't apply to me. Who can say among us that Jesus' sermon isn't full of stunning implications for all of us? And can I give you my take on the most stunning of all? Sin is serious. Really. 
even if we haven't murdered, and honestly, I don't, I had a childhood uh, friend that I, he, he had a physical deformity that caused a lot of, just a, a world of picking against him. And uh, he would run from the bus stop when they dropped us off and try to run to him because it's like, tell you that because uh, that doesn't give me a moment to look down my nose at him. I think that's what Jesus is saying. Bro, are you sure about that? You've never murdered a human being. Sure about that? You've never committed adultery. Really? Jesus' next words, since they're on the tail end of this adultery comment that just, I told you it was to be a mood change. We're having a good time, and then all of a sudden, oh, he's talking about something. No one gets to see my heart. Wow. Uh, it's a mood change. Jesus' next words, I'm going to call them what they are. They're hyperbole, meaning an exaggeration to make a point. Okay. Though, uh, if you want something to really humor you, um, look at an artist's rendering of verses 29 and 30. And, and it's kind of, it's basically, hey, look at the, this. in fact, the book that we're going to, if you don't have the book yet, please sign up for it in the lobby. We're going to order a bunch more today, but we need your name. So that's a little plug on this. What if Jesus was serious by Sky Jathani? It's a good book. And uh, just moments of insight that you'll you'll appreciate. But anyway, um, it's uh, he has actually has an artist rendering of a guy that walks into heaven with no arms and no legs because he didn't get the point that we're about to read that Jesus was speaking in hyperbole. Here it is, verse twenty nine. So you've heard it said, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." I say to you, if you've bought it in your heart, you've done it. Okay, that's 27 and 28. If your right eye then causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body, important part I would say, the eye, than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And he's not done. If, you, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So if we take his words at face value, it's clear that he is saying something about the seriousness of, of sin. In other words, it's hyperbole, but it's not to be trifled with. It's meant to go, whoa, that is so graphic. I, I get, get kind of nauseated at the thought. Somebody going, man, I can't deal with lust anymore. By the way, there's guys, I, I explored it again. I heard it first in seminary, then church history that have done such a thing. And it relates to um, unwanted sexual desire. And they, they, they didn't get the point, this is hyperbole. And it was horrible. I, I can't verify that it was true, so I'm not telling you about it any more than that. But the point is there are people along the way that do miss the point. So... I'm certain that his words are meant to have more impact in our lives than most of us can even imagine. It's why my title today is Uncomfortably in Play. Since Jesus was serious, and he was, then shouldn't we be a little bit more serious in most cases about sin on our, in our heart? Can I add one more thing that's just not, just kind of in the moment, I want you to know my heart on this. Sin's more than making a mistake. 
everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has bad days, you know, that kind of thing. No, 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 no. Sin is why there's a cross. That's how serious sin is. Sin means that I belonged on that cross, and so do you. Not for anybody else, but for yourself, for myself. That's how serious sin is. So, um, it's more than a mistake, that's what I'm saying. But there's great news for you and me. There's a God that says, I sent my son. Unbelievable, but true. I sent my son to take your place and to suffer and die to pay what was owed for your sinful behavior. Whether it was ever seen or not, there, that's kind of the frame. So to illustrate this point, I want to just take a minute, and it won't take very long at all because most of us know a certain person. I went back to the Bible and thought, who illustrates this well? And I thought of... um, I thought of a a king that we know and admire in the Old Testament. Uh, His name's David, King David, and he's the most uh, famous for sure and Israel's greatest king. And um, I think you're about to answer the question, why? Why was he? There's a lot of kings, 30 or 40 of them, a whole bunch of them, and all but a handful Uh, The Bible says in summary of their lives, they stunk. They were terrible. They did what was evil in the sight of God. Who cares what other people thought of them? God's assessment, not good, not good, really not good, terrible, horrible, bad. And then there's a few that are an exception. Um, Josiah would be one. Hezekiah's great-grandfather was another one. Anyway, a few others. I I didn't. You can explore it yourself. So King David, he was chosen by God to become Israel's second king. I don't know if you knew that. Um, Israel's first king uh, didn't last. uh, He lasted a while, but he didn't do so good. His name's Saul, and um, and he 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 failed badly. Um, His disobedience has a direct line to his downfall. Um, one time he was to take on the Philistines. I'm capturing a bunch of information in uh, 1 Samuel, for example. But he's told by God through Samuel the prophet, take on the Philistines, wait until the prophet gets there so he can sacrifice to prepare for battle. And he blew right past that. In fairness to Saul, I probably would have too because he was supposed to come in seven days and Samuel was delayed. So Saul, the king, thought, ah, I better do something here. Better, I want to bring God in on this, so I'll offer a sacrifice. And he offered the sacrifice, and, and God was not at all pleased. That's the first. And then the second one, he was told to um, eliminate one of Israel's longtime enemies, the Amalekites, King Agag. What a name, huh? <laughs> Hey, I don't think you say it that way or you're probably not going to live long. Hey, Agag. Um, But anyway, King Agag and the Amalekites, he was instructed to take them out, eliminate them completely. They've been nothing but more than trouble. They've been an enemy of mine for a long time. And so they prosecuted the war, Saul, led them into battle, and they're to wipe out everybody and everything. And the... Conflict was over, and they came home, and it turns out Saul, um, well, Samuel came and said, hey, how did it go? How'd the battle go? Yeah, it went really good. You get them all? Well, yeah, sure, we did, you know, and he goes, and what's the sound? And he starts talking about sheep and the booty, the, the, the bounty of war. He's going, what happened? Were you not told to, anyway, the bottom line is disobedience. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 comes out of that where he says, to obey is better than sacrifice. And uh, Saul failed and failed again. So God's assessment, you have done foolish things. I'm quoting from 1 Samuel 13. You have done foolish things. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord and If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. 
but you haven't. As a result, God was immediately searching for someone to succeed him. And someone with a special quality is who God sought. A quality of the heart that God is always looking for. A man or a woman after his own heart is the expression that comes out of 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. By the way, can I say this to you if you're thinking, I'm too far off the path, I, I haven't, it hasn't gone well for me. Or you have a myriad of reasons why that's a cool story, but it'll never be your story. There's more than a few of us that think that way. I want you to, I want you to know that God said to another king that was a really good king till just he stumbled at the end of his life. His name was King Asa. And um, he was just on a roll, walking with God. Everything was good. And then he fumbled at the end. And get this. This is about King Asa. Uh, the word came back to him through a prophet that says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, looking for him or her that he may strongly support whose heart is fully his. Okay? So, those words from Second um, Chronicles 16, verse 9, I put them to memory because I thought, I want to tell people that. There's good news for you. There's good news for me. The eyes of the Lord continue to look throughout the earth for those that, whose hearts are fully his. He wants to support you. He wants to lift you up. So, David was the person that Samuel was led to. The prophet went and found him. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. You need to read it. Um, and he, he had that heart. God says, go find the guy that has a heart after mine. Samuel did, went to the dad, Jesse, and met his son, David. He was the guy. And he had that heart, listen to me now, until one steamy spring day, an evening to be specific. And he became entangled in lustful sin and it led him to adultery. He was with another man's wife and he knew it. Something, just so you know, for which the Bible holds King David solely responsible. There's some nonsense out there that would suggest Bathsheba wanted it, and that's garbage. The king gets what he wants. That's the truth. Okay, enough said. Um, instead of repenting, he sets in motion a very complex plan to cover his tracks, and it involved um, finding her husband and finishing him off. And so, uh, of course, he was out at battle, doing the king's battle at that time, and Joab, the commander, sent out to get him and put him in harm's way, put him as far forward leaning in the battle, and sure enough, he died. A second sin, incalculable in size. And for a brief time, because he... He faked comforting Bathsheba, the woman he committed adultery with. For a brief time, he thought he got away with it. In fact, probably the length of time she was pregnant. But because he had gone to her and married her, poor widow, all that stuff, he had his, he had his back covered. No one's going to know. You know the story. Um, and... Uh, 2 Samuel 11 captures it in one chapter. And, and then David is confronted because God saw it all. And God expressly says that was deeply disappointing to me. And here's what you're supposed to say to the king. He tells a very nervous Nathan, the prophet. And I've always pictured poor Nathan. I just uh, related to him. I thought, man, I do not want, no, pick somebody else. I just can't imagine telling the king of Israel, you know, God's not happy with you. Um, the impact, I'll save it for you. Read 2 Samuel 12, the 
whole chapter, and you'll see the impact. But a bigger question screams at us. After all I've just captured very quickly, it screams at us, did David, did David, King David, lose his crown? Did he lose his kingdom? Did he lose, more, most important of all, his status as a man after God's own heart? Those are three rhetorical questions. Shockingly, the answer is no. How can that be? Is probably on your mind. It's been on my mind. It's what the remainder few moments of this message is about. My assessment is that King David, uh, and I know this is an extreme Monday morning quarterbacking. I was not there. I have no videotape to consult and all that. I didn't see anything except I have what you have, the narrative of the king's adultery and his murder described in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. And then I have what you have, the confession of King David in Psalm 51. So I want you to flip one more time to Psalm 51 and just stay there a minute long enough to take it in fresh because context is everything. This is David talking after all that I captured for you. He's talking, looking back at it and the, and the terrible sin he committed. Let's just, you look on, I'll read. This is why he didn't lose his man after my own heart status. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me from all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. It haunts me, my addition. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sights. I would add, I think you sinned against Bathsheba too. So you are right, he continues, in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That means I got good at sinning. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Are you getting the feeling that this is a beatdown he was living? Oh, sure, he got away with it. Or did he? Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. We all, these are favorite words for many of us. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, because it's not there now. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And look what he wants to do if this all comes about. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. I'll have a story to tell. You've heard me say this how many times, people. God wants to leverage your story for his glory. Don't hide the dirt. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O oh God, you who are God my Savior. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and, and my mouth will declare your praise. They're going to hear it from me. You did not delight in sacrifice or I would have brought it. You did not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit. I can't read this fast. A broken and contrite spirit. A heart like that you will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David sinned, people, in a flagrant way. That's established in the story I told in 2 Samuel 11. He sinned terribly. 
David repented in a completely contrite way. There is not a hint of excuse here. Yeah, God, you gave me a big job, and sometimes the stress gets to me. No. No. He pours out his sinful heart and sought God's help in cleaning up the mess he had made with his sin. That's good stuff. In short, I think you're reading about a man that took his sin super seriously. Uh, As we're wrapping it up, do you do that? You sin, I know. You don't have to answer that part. I do too. Do you take it as seriously as we're reading it here? If you do, God can and God will forgive and restore you. Do you hear that? He will also use you to help other lawbreakers come back. And there's plenty of them. And um, that's how fallen stars rise again. It is. I'd like you to close your Bible quietly and bow your head. And let's prepare ourselves for communion. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not remove me from your presence and do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. Renew to me the joy of when I first met you. And then I will teach transgressors your way, sinners just like me, and sinners will come back to you. Why stay away from a God that will restore the fallen? But if you're still insistent on hiding your sin, maybe Psalm 32, also written by David, will change your mind. Because he wrote it during the months of concealment. He had messed up, but he covered up for many months before Nathan came to him. A lot of us do that, many for years. That needs to stop. You say, well, no, it's kind of old, old news. No, it's not. Your soul knows it. And you're paying a terrible price for it continually. In the words of David in Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That's a great place to be. But all day long I kept silent about my sin and my my body withered away. It, it, It faded away. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. I felt God against me, David said. No one else knew. And then he acknowledged, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I no longer hid. I just came clean. I fessed up. Most beautiful words finish Psalm 32. I will confess my wrongdoings to the Lord, and he forgave the guilt of my sin, and I could live again. There will be some gentle music playing. While servers are coming now to join me, they're going to bring you communion. And when they do, I want you to just hold it 
But I want you to hold it in a special way today. Because I think you've been, anybody reading or hearing this message or these scriptures would have to say I've been found out in some fashion. The question is, have you cleaned it all out? Have you said, Holy Spirit, forgive me, clean me, make me new, create in me a brand new heart? And if you need that last nudge to go there, right where you're at today, I want you to hold the bread and the cup in your hand. And I want you to see a cross that they represent. Because they represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And he gave himself for us for this moment that we're sharing. And I'm talking to you who are joining us from other places too. Don't, don't click the TV off. This is too important. And when you hold the communion in your hand, do what we're going to do. We're going to say, God, search me. Another psalm of David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any hurtful way in me. And if you find it there, Lord, then lead, it, lead me in the way everlasting. Repent this morning. If you, if you need to cry, you heard the preacher cry earlier. That's been covered. That's okay. Let's be real. Don't, don't conceal any longer. Take your sin as seriously as God takes your sin by sending his son to fix it. Let's share in communion.